0: You are listening to Beltway Beef, commentary from NCBA's D.C. office. It has been a few weeks since we came to you with an update from Washington, but we are back. My name is Ethan Lane. I am the Vice President of Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Joining me today is our crack team here in Washington. The leaders of our three policy teams are with me today, Danielle Beck, Caitlin Glover, and Allison Rivera. Ladies, welcome. Hey, thank, thank you. you. So in talking about this podcast today, we uh, we made a list that was way too long to hold anybody's attention, and that speaks to just the number of issues happening in Washington right now. We have new committees coming together. We have a new administration that has definitely figured out how to use uh, the executive pen. Uh, and we have a little bit of an idea of what's going to shape up in the federal policy arena over the next few years, while we're still seeing some shakeout from you know, shenanigans of the last few months playing out in the form of an impeachment trial next week, uh, unprecedented action in the House. There's a lot going on across the board. Let's just start by going around the horn. Danielle, I'll start with you because you're to my right. What's on your agenda? What's on your mind? What are you seeing as this Congress shapes up?
1: Well, Ethan, uh, I want to talk a little bit about CFAP. Uh, you know, as the, the most listened to podcast of our Beltway Beef program last year, Mine on CFAP, I like to remind everybody of that fact in the D.C. office. Sorry. Endlessly. You guys. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I thought I would talk a little bit about CFAP because we're getting a lot of questions lately. Where are the assistance payments? I would love to tell you, uh, unfortunately, CFAP is one of the many things that have been put on pause as part of Biden's regulatory freeze pending review. You know, USDA put out an announcement on January 15th. Relative to the new CFAP funding that was authorized in that Economic Aid Act back in December, unfortunately, cattle assistance was not part of that announcement simply because of the fact that we are unlike every other commodity out there. Instead of one specific payment rate, there were several different formulas spelled out in statute, and USDA in the last administration was trying to wrap their brain around how to implement that, and they simply ran out of time. And so Biden hitting pause on the CFAP uh, tranche of money really doesn't impact us. However, NCBA is working with the Biden team to ensure that whenever they lift their finger from the pause button, we are not left out in the cold again. $1.4 billion in assistance will be coming for cattle producers, and it's really targeted towards all of those individuals who are left out in the cold during CFAP1, uh, their Part 1 inventory payments based on that arbitrary cutoff date of April 15th. Another thing to really make note of is the fact that There's been a lot of speculation after the uh, Secretary Vilsack Senate Agriculture nomination hearing this week about how, uh, you know, as part of an effort to further the Biden administration's goals on climate change, some of the funding from the Credit Commodity Corporation or CCC at USDA might be used as part of that. And will that impact CFAP payments?
0: Now, that really rattled a lot of people this week. We had more phone calls on that issue than maybe anything else going on right
1: now. It did. And it's important to note two things. The first is that the CFAP payments that were authorized in this last COVID package, it's discretionary funding that doesn't come from the CCC. It's also very clearly spelled out in statute. There's no way around providing those payments. USDA just simply doesn't have the authority. Second... You know the CCC has broad regulatory authority, but it's not a savings account for USDA to dip into like a slush fund. It's more of a line of credit where USDA can borrow against themselves from the Department of Treasury, but that money has to be repaid or paid back through the appropriations process. Uh, You know it's really intended to serve as a backstop and respond when there are great. disasters. Uh, There was questions about whether or not USDA would have the regulatory authority to provide assistance to our producers at the offset of COVID. And so, you know, there's a lot of speculation about how these funds may or may not be used moving forward what type of authority is available there. But I think we need to wait and see. It's too early to speculate, and it's definitely not worth uh, getting bent out of shape about because there's a lot of time, there's a lot that can happen, and there's going to be a lot of folks with opinions on Capitol Hill because really they have the authority to determine how that money is used. Congress has the power of the purse.
0: But short answer, Vilsack has said this week, cattle producers' CFAP payments are not going to be held up. He's going to honor Congress's intent from last year and there's no diversion of money going to cattle producers from CC, CCC coming out this week. They're going to work all this out. We're going to figure out how they're going to use that tool. But everyone can relax. The things that have been committed to are going to happen.
1: That's absolutely correct. And you know, keep in mind, folks. He just went through his Senate Ag nomination hearing. He is yet to be confirmed by the full Senate. We still don't have a full-time confirmed secretary. And so once Mister Vilsack gets over to USDA, uh, I think we'll be we'll be in a good spot. But you know, we just need to wait a little bit longer.
0: Although for those of us that like a little conflict in the Senate confirmation hearing, this one was pretty, pretty toast. There wasn't a whole lot of action on that front, but we expect Secretary Vilsack will be confirmed pretty directly by the U.S. Senate. Caitlin, let's talk about the C word. Uh, this dominates a lot of your time in the natural resources portfolio. Uh, and, and it's something we're going to hear more and more about over the next couple of years. Call it climate change. Call it sustainability. Call it good stewardship. Call it what our producers have just been doing as, as a part of everyday life for the last multiple four or five generations. What are we hearing on the climate front? This administration's made this a big priority. What's the latest?
2: So what we're hearing on the climate front is, is, is everything. So every policy that this administration is going to pursue, whether it's payments for cattle producers, whether it is uh, other economic measures, whether it's a, a bill in Congress, all of these all of these things, all of these items are going to be considered under the lens of climate. What does this mean for our national and international climate policy? And the good news here that we're going to be telling at NCPA is that what we do, what our producers do, is good for the, the climate. It's good for the environment. It's good for all of these rangelands. And, and, and that really is, I, I think, the underlying message here. We are looking not only to this the nomination and confirmation processes of Secretary of Agriculture, but Interior as well, We're looking at all of these messaging bills and, and sorting through all of the executive orders that really are trying to set the tone for where this administration is going to go. The administration made very clear pretty early on that they wanted to proceed with this 30 by 30 Concept conserving thirty percent of the lands and waters by the year twenty thirty, and it doesn't really say how they're going to do that. It really is sort of this ambitious, uh, a moonshot, if you will, or range shot conservation shot. And from anybody
0: from the west, you hear thirty percent conserved by thirty thirty, and the hair on the back of your neck starts to stand up because we immediately start thinking about grazing permits access to, 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 to appropriate amounts of of forage. It, it, I mean, it could be detrimental for our producers.
2: Well, you're exactly right. But The message that we need to carry that we are carrying and that we will rely on producers to, to amplify and demonstrate is that what we are already doing is conservation. When you look at the term sustainability or when you look at the long cultural heritage that our cattle producers uh, have demonstrated and lived and continue to live every day, What you see is that conservation does not require acquisition, doesn't require the use of LWCF to buy up a whole bunch of lands, it doesn't require designation, it doesn't require uh, new national monuments or new wilderness areas, nor does it require a change in use. You can manage for specific resource goals by adding more grazing or adding less grazing, changing the recreation values, changing your time patterns. And so there are a lot of things that can be done and should be done and are being done in, in large part that are already conservation and through this whole message whether it's to the interior secretary nominee Deb Holland or to any of her staff or to the new chairman and ranking members of most of the committees that are going to primarily consider land and resource issues the message that we're sending is that cattle producers the beef production in the United States it's important not only for preserving that cultural heritage But if they're going to achieve any sort of environmental goals, you have to have cattle producers, you have to have these producers at the table and actively engaged, you have to have them on your side, because otherwise, you you, you won't be able to reach any target that you set. I think the other piece for, for the West as well, you know, production and, and pr- cattle producers, livestock producers in general, are integral parts of their, their rural economies. So you know, we have been talking a lot and have seen a lot over the last few days uh, about this, this rural stability, particularly in communities that are really dependent on other natural resources. And they're really energy dependent and, and dependent on other federal land policies that aren't necessarily agriculture based, but impact what they do. Livestock producers, in general, are, are truly the backbone or the lifeblood. They, they provide a very consistent economic base uh, for all of these rural communities. And, and without that, uh, the administration, Congress is going to have a very hard time achieving any of their ambitious goals or agendas uh, because they won't have that buy-in, they won't have that stability. Um, so. In terms of the, the first segment of this administration, the first, I don't know, you don't pay me to do math, but however many weeks we've been in this administration, uh, you know, we, what we have seen is a lot of goal setting. We've seen a lot of, uh, I think, intentional or, or agenda setting for reviews. They, they want to get their hands around what exists uh, want They want to get their arms around what regulatory change they need to be made, and it's incumbent upon us, and, and we are doing this and, and carrying that good message forward uh, to make sure that we demonstrate that everything that we've done in the last four years uh, can continue because the work that our producers do uh, is good work, and it's necessary work.
0: So, Allison... One of the things that happens at the beginning of any new Congress is the rush to find your committees freshman members coming in, big class this year uh, forty five Republicans in that in that freshman class, I believe I don't get paid to do math either, but I think it's forty five <laughs> um, all put in for their top choice committee. So we have a lot of producers that want our their member of Congress coming in to go to the ag committee because that seems like an obvious fit or the resources committee if you're out west maybe uh, the biggest i, I wish list committee for anybody in the freshman class was the transportation and infrastructure committee this year. What's going on there?
3: So the the T and I committee is the the largest committee as far as membership. And um, you know, the the best thing that I have seen with this new group of members uh, and and the continued membership uh, that that stayed on T and I is that crossover between ag and transportation. Meaning you have a lot of these members who are on ag committee and on T and I which means that they are taking that um, that ag message to the, the transportation committee. And I spend a lot of time, uh, just reminding, um, reminding our friends at DOT and at FMCSA and on the Hill that agriculture is a huge part of the transportation conversation. Uh, we have to be able to get our goods, uh, and particularly our livestock where they need to go. Um, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't, um, If I didn't mention that, we also had um, the DOT uh, secretary nomination uh, hearing in the last couple weeks, and we have confirmed uh, DOT Secretary Buttigieg uh, to be our new DOT secretary. We're looking forward to forming a relationship there uh, as he gets his staff built up, particularly that FMCSA position that we're going to be looking at very closely as we continue to work with them. Um, we are sitting in an hours of service emergency declaration due to COVID until February 28th. So we have already started those conversations with again um, some new personnel and some some uh, current personnel over there. Which,
0: by the way, you have had to go resell and rewin for this industry every month since the beginning of COVID. Is that right?
3: Yeah, it it has been uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Zoom calls with our with our dear friends over at FMCSA, just continuing to talk about the need. For that declaration, but also to point to the fact that we have continued, as we have in the past, to haul safely through this uh, through this declaration, uh, which has given us the flexibility that we've been asking for for the last honestly five years. Um, I'm I'm you know I'm pleased to see that we received that month to month uh, right before uh, the last FMCSA director left. We did get a couple of months uh, to get us through the new year, which was very helpful, but. Again, I think that we have a great track record. We continue to keep that great track record. So why not give us a couple more months, get everybody out there, in a, in a vaccinated in a better in a better spot, and then uh, you know take another look and, and see where we're at. But again, excited about these new members of TNI. We've got members like Dusty Johnson from South Dakota, who's a good friend of the industry, and we're super excited to work with uh, with people like him and, and other members that have hopped on this committee. Um, have been supportive of finding flexibility for livestock haulers. So just very excited to, to work with T&I. And if we can get a bipartisan infrastructure package done, that helps all of rural America. We all know that our roads and bridges need uh, they need some maintenance, they need some, some
0: funding, and we want to be a part of that conversation going forward. Well, we'll stay engaged on that, obviously, and, and that's going to be an interesting conversation to watch develop. Uh, T&I isn't the only committee that saw a lot of action in the steering committee process. We've seen new members land on a lot of different committees. Uh, some that I think we, we reacted excitedly to, excited to work with some of these folks. Some that are, are definitely causing some concern and some questions among members. Noted vegan and uh, uh, rescuer of people from buildings, Senator Cory Booker from New Jersey, uh, has been placed on the Senate Committee on Agriculture. Um, I, I, uh, I'm curious, I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about Senator Booker, but I am curious your thoughts on some of those placements. I, you know, is there anybody that really stands out to you? Obviously, Roger Marshall from Kansas going to the Ag Committee. Not a big surprise there. Great friend of the industry. Um, Who else are we watching? Who else are we interested in? I'll just go around the horn, whatever you guys think.
1: You know, less about the members, but I think it's really important that uh, every single individual who serves in the Agriculture Committee is attentive to their constituencies. And when we talk about the need for grassroots advocacy, sure, we live in D.C., so our producers don't have to, but their voice uh, and their connection with their individual members of Congress is really critically important. And, you know, I think one of the reasons the word vegan gets a bad rap is because it's identified with individuals with rabid agendas. And so I hope that uh, you know Senator Booker doesn't choose to push this sort of vegan agenda because we know uh, there are a lot of benefits to beef, whether it's nutritionally, environmentally, uh, you name it. And uh, we look forward to having those conversations because there are a lot of opportunities there. But at the end of the day, uh, every single member of Congress and every single senator represents a diverse constituency. They want to hear from their their folks back home and that includes the people listening to this podcast. So, uh, if you haven't contacted your member of Congress to tell them the latest and how you feel about the weather down back home,
0: feel free to do so. Well, you know it's important to remember that the Ag Committee is one of the last bastions of bipartisan work in Washington. It's true, it would be unfortunate for anyone to upset that with a partisan agenda coming into that space and and making it something other than a place where we really work to make sure we're putting a good product out for producers around the country.
3: I think also as we look towards this twenty twenty three Farm Bill again. These new members are going to enter this committee and they're going to have to be able to to both sides are going to have to be able to work together to get a farm bill that works for our producers and works for agriculture. And it's going to be so important as we talk about sustainability and we talk about, you know, the checkoffs. And it's, it's going to be very uh, interesting to just kind of see where we head in this farm bill.
0: No question about it. I'm not ready to talk Farm Bill yet. I know we're there, but it seems a little <laughs> premature. I feel like we just got the last one put together. I'm always
3: talking about it. It's always in my on my mind. So uh,
2: one of the new leadership I think that's really interesting from a Western perspective uh, is that we have a member from Arkansas now uh, topping the Republican side of the Dias on the House Natural Resources Committee. It's a little bit of a a diversion from where we've had the the last few Congresses where we had Rob Bishop from Utah um, topping the panel, but at, at least on Western issues Westerman has really been uh, sort of living up to his name, right? Uh, he really is a Western man, uh, although he is God, part.
0: that's horrible. I know, I know.
2: <laughs> Resident dad jokes here, but but in, in you know,
0: no, not As the joke, only dad here. I'm offended.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a joke by proxy, or pun here, um, but but in, in all honesty, uh, Representative Westerman has been. Uh, really quite an advocate for these resource issues, although most of the public lands, the federal lands uh, within his jurisdiction or within driving distance of of his home are national parks. Um, He really is a really big advocate, not only for issues like wildfire and the need to, to mitigate some of those most catastrophic situations, but also has a really healthy respect for multiple use, uh, not only the mandate on on BLM lands, but also that doctrine on Forest Service lands as well. Uh, so really excited to see the, the dynamic, and that's going to be a new dynamic between himself as ranking member uh, and and the chairperson of that that committee who tends to uh, not favor any sort of, of livestock or agriculture access uh, to public lands. Chairman Rehalva has, has found himself um, in, in a position where and has put himself in a position where he has not been friendly to the vast majority of our issues. And so I'm hopeful that we're going to be able to, to develop a little bit a more productive dynamic uh, in, in the 117th Congress uh, and, and really find a, a way where we can share uh we, we can share some really important priorities with both sides of the dais uh, but even if we're not able to do that mr westerman uh, is really really welcome at the top of that committee
0: there's no question he is a great friend of the industry i i can't tell you how much i appreciate him personally he's just a great guy it is interesting to see you know the last couple of years have been sort of dominated by the georgia delegation in agriculture policy in washington even heard references like the Georgia mafia used on occasion. Um, that is still in some sense, the case, we have a new chairman of the, of the house agriculture committee, David Scott from Georgia, um, who is going to play a key role. He has been fantastic to work with. We've already, the three of us, or the four of us sitting here have already had a chance to speak with the chairman here in the last few weeks. Um, but now we have Arkansas coming in strong as well as a big player in resource and ag policy. It is going to be an interesting 117th Congress to say the least Um, Last night, we were handed new marching orders from our members around the country. New policy priorities for 2021. I want to make sure that we take a minute here before we exhaust our audience with this long podcast. Um, Let's talk a little bit about those priorities. You know, I I think the first thing that I notice about this is the top line of this is really something that, that bleeds into everything we do in this office. Now, our policy focus for this year is to advocate for a business climate that increases opportunities for producer profitability across the board. I don't think there's any issue we work on in this office that isn't done with an eye towards increasing our producer's bottom line. But let's talk a little bit about what that is this year. Ongoing COVID-19 recovery, obviously that's dominated all of our agendas in the last uh, 12 months. If we think back to a year ago, we can only imagine what was to come. Uh, in, the, in the last year, we're going to keep working on that. I mean, food safety is going to continue to be an issue. Worker safety, packing capacity, but also improving that business climate for producers around the country. Alternative proteins, Danielle, what's going on there? Are the, we going to are we going to get this wrapped up this year?
1: The fight against fake meat continues. I, uh, you know, we will be working uh, to ensure that the MOU between USDA and FDA on Uh, lab-grown cell culture products is maintained in this administration. And then uh, as USDA and FDA move forward on labeling practices for these new novel products, uh, they make the right decision in terms of how to, you know, appropriately differentiate them from real, you know, conventional beef in the grocery store. And we'll be still working to see FDA take enforcement action against plant products.
0: Well, and also in that business climate bucket on your team is going to be the uh, never ending fight to increase price transparency. Obviously, that's been a big issue for Tanner Beamer, uh, our cattle markets lobbyist that works on your team and will continue to be as we continue to monitor that negotiated trade level in our framework uh, as we go throughout the year. Uh, We're also going to be working a lot on product of the USA labeling. This is something we hear about from producers around the country. We had a policy change a year ago in San Antonio because of our producers in Oregon bringing that policy forward through the grassroots process. Seems like there's an opportunity now. Secretary Vilsack in his confirmation hearing talked about the fact that, you know, the MCOOL of old doesn't meet that WTO compliance standard. Everyone, regardless of party, in that hearing agreed that WTO standard is what it is. So the Secretary is open to ideas. Where do we go from here in beef labeling and making sure that what's on that package meets that consumer expectation, but also adds to that producer profitability we keep talking about?
1: Listen, labels matter, and it's really critically important that uh, consumers are provided with enough information to make informed purchasing decisions. And so, you know, when it comes to labeling uh, writ large for the beef industry, I think our focus needs to be on value additive voluntary labels you know what we see right now it just doesn't work one because it doesn't provide consumers with enough information but two because it doesn't actually deliver any benefit back to our producers and so we've got big plans i don't want to give anything away but this is an issue we've been working on for well over a year now ethan and i'm pretty excited to see what's going to happen in just a few short weeks because we've got big things planned there's a great opportunity ahead of us and we're going to seize that
0: excellent Appreciate that update. Uh, climate and sustainability is going to continue to be a top priority for us. I think we've covered the, the bases on that. Trade and market access, NCBA zone. Kent Bacchus uh, is going to have his hands full. But, you know, this is always a pretty bipartisan issue. We, we tend to, to have a good dialogue on trade in, in Democratic administrations and Republican administrations. There's a lot of work to be done, a U.K. deal to broker, uh, more access to, to deal with, uh, expanding into Japan additionally Uh, More access to China. We're up 300% into China over the last year, so there's a lot of progress to be made there as well. And finally, we've talked a lot over the last couple years about regulatory work. NEPA, National Environmental Policy Act, massive rewrite over the past couple years. Endangered Species Act, a big regulatory rewrite there. The delisting of the gray wolf in the lower 48 states. I'm listing things that I personally worked on so selfishly I want to take some credit for, but Caitlin, a lot of those things are now in federal court, and That's kind of part of the strategy. We always knew we would end up there. We always knew we were going to have to defend those priorities moving forward. But now we have a new administration that's put a pause in place. It's on our policy priority list for a reason. Keeping that continuity on regulatory action is going to be a big policy priority for us. What's that look like?
2: So I think the phrase here that we always use is regulatory certainty, right? We want to avoid that volat- volatility, that that whiplash, that it, it is or it isn't, it's upwards, it's down, it's it's mine or it's not. And and for producers in the West, this is a this is a really familiar um, this is a really familiar notion. Whether we're talking about the Endangered Species Act or what they can and cannot do within the permits, but what we've really seen over the last four, or eight, really last ten years is sort of that encroachment to the east, that those uh, private lands impacts. Um, and so when we're talking about what regulatory certainty looks like over the next years, you're, you're exactly right. This is going to have to be defense of litigation and defense of the administration for places where they, they need um, some help defending the rules that they wrote. We have spent the last many years uh, working with the administration to make sure that what they the, the regulatory efforts that they undertake are, are adopting the, the best available science, so the most um, fair and accurate. and and develop science that they're good for, for all of the producers in our area and also that they're legally defensible. Um, I will note that the Senate spent a lot of time during the Trump administration placing judges and confirming judges. And a lot of people were wondering why the body was taking that much time on all of these judges that they didn't know or care about where the districts were. But this is exactly why. You have all of these regulatory efforts and you have in the past these uh, judges who have been activists rather than jurists. uh, and, And they really have had their own opinion inserted into these decisions. Uh, And and, or were able to undermine entire economic and entire regulatory schemes just because they felt like it. And so with these judges in place who are going to follow the letter of the law and are going to follow the science uh, as it was applied by the scientific experts, uh, we're we're very, very hopeful that these regulations are, are going to be left in place. We have seen some good messaging so far come out of the Biden administration that, for things like the gray wolf listing uh, delisting, uh, that there is uh, some commitment there to defend that decision in court. Uh, those three different decisions are uh, three different legal cases are, are challenging that decision. It's all the usual suspects, uh, and so we have a pretty, uh, a pretty uh, predictable defense. The one other thing I would say in terms of this regulatory certainty uh, is making sure that we have that dialogue going across the country. Um, We have national regulations on things like designating critical habitat. We have very similar issues across the country. And so one of the things that we do here is bring all uh, all of those perspectives, all of those distinct issues here to develop policy uh, at your direction through that grassroots policy. So I was so pleased to see that the membership approved uh, this particular item uh, in our policy priorities for this year, because it really will direct what we do um, and how we engage not only in court, but also with Congress and, and, uh, and with the new administration as well.
0: Well said. I think it's safe to say none of us are going to be bored over the next few years And uh, if we do this right, neither are any of our producers around the country or or affiliates uh, because we're going to need all of them and all of their voices to get this stuff done. Thank you all for taking some time this afternoon. I know it's been a busy week. Uh, We will talk to you again soon, I'm sure, with updates on all of these issues and whatever else gets thrown at us in the months to come. But I appreciate it very much. We'll talk to you all soon. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Official commentary from NCBA's D.C. office. Don't forget to check us out online at policy.beltwaybeef.com or on Twitter at Beltway Beef and now on Spotify at Beltway Beef. Also, that website is policy.ncba.org.